Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, to God be the glory, the mission that we're on to raise a generation for Christ, God is doing it. He is using our sons and our daughters to declare Christ. And uh, that's our prayer for you. If you're here and you're a teenager, I hope you know we love you deeply in the Lord. We want God's very best for you. And if you're a guest, wherever you are in your journey, thanks for joining us today. We're in part three of this series called The Bright Side. It's material that uh, maybe from an unbeliever's point of view would be about optimism, about having a positive outlook. But the reality is thousands of years before the idea of optimism or self-help books, uh, God wrote to us in the Bible in Philippians chapter 2 about the life of Jesus. And we've learned that Jesus was the way he was because of the way he thought and that our thinking affects our life to such an extent that you can literally change your life by changing your thinking. We've learned that an overcomer's outlook, an outlook that always sees an opportunity, even in difficulty, is possible, and it's especially possible if you're a follower of Jesus, because you now have the life of Christ available to you. You have the Spirit of God living in you. When you get God's higher outlook about all the things that are going on in your life, it starts to open options that you didn't see before. And it can lead to better outcomes, sometimes outcomes that you never even would have imagined. I want to talk with you today about the foundation underneath your outlook or your attitude. Because the reality is we all have some broken foundations in our lives from our upbringing or from our personality, and you can work as hard as you want on your attitude and outlook, but if your self-view or identity is that you don't deserve to succeed, or of course you messed up, then then you're going to kind of keep taking that trajectory. God wants you to have a healthy view of yourself because he loves you, and he made you in his image. Now, sometimes we talk about when concrete or cement is wet, how moldable it still is, and then when it dries, well, if you want to change it after it dries, it's a lot of work. I found some funny examples of this. Tell me if you can figure out what animal this is. This one's kind of silly. I don't know how this frog got into this concrete, but uh, he will live on in infamy forever, I guess, in the cement. This is a sidewalk, and there's a scooter there. It looks like a kid must have been riding his scooter, and it wasn't marked that a portion of the sidewalk was new wet cement, and he derfed it, as we said when I was a kid anyway. He derfed it, and uh, I I guess he'll have a monument there for many years of that accident. This last one, if you're a construction worker, might give you anxiety. These are footprints from a bird of some kind. Some bird got onto this three-car driveway right as the cement was driving. Now, when you think of your attitude or your outlook, a lot of times we're dealing with the daily level, which would be the sand in this visual. Uh, When a house is built, there's the, the deep foundation, and then there's gravel and stuff sometimes above that, depending on the part of the house. And a lot of times we're living in this kind of sand layer. 
How do I handle conflict at my workplace, in my home? If you're dating or married, how do I handle conflict there? What do I do at school if I'm discouraged about the grade I got? And a lot of what we've been learning from the book we're studying called The Winning Attitude is about how to kind of lift your attitude up at that sand level of life to look at God and have his kind of faith-filled perspective on things. But what I've learned in my life, and I shared in part one of this series, that the book we're studying, Winning Attitude, has really changed me. I am by nature a pessimistic, woe-is-me, melancholy, down-and-out kind of personality. That's who I naturally am. God has radically changed my personality as I've been following Jesus through the principles we're sharing. But part of what I've learned as I've really gone through this journey the last 10 years is that there are broken foundation pieces in my life. So if you look at these foundation pieces, um, you see instead of being encouraged and loved and wanted, all the things that we all need, that some of my brokenness is that I grew up with what I would call a scarcity mentality. That is, there's never going to be enough. There's not enough money to go around. So, you know, don't give any away. Save what you have. Don't make any risky investments. And a scarcity mentality was underneath the sand in my life, and it affected my marriage. We'd fight about money all the time. It affected everything. It affected my job. Also, I, I tend to have a mentality that I could be abandoned at any moment. It goes back to stuff in my childhood. Or that I'm unworthy. Like, I don't deserve to succeed, or I don't deserve this or that. I often have a mentality left to myself, apart from God, that it's me against the world. And while that can be a little bit motivating to work hard, it can be really isolating to the people in my life who want to help me and love me and bond with me. Now, I don't know in your life what some of the broken foundations might be, but I'll tell you a little story from my childhood. It'll just give you a little window into why some of those blocks are broken for me. And I'm not telling this story for your sympathy. We're not going to have a cry fest, Okay. But I want you to see how things that happen to us affect our foundational view of ourselves. And if we don't invite God to heal us at that deep level, we'll go through life and we'll make bad choices or smaller choices than we could because of those wounds. So this story is about a bicycle. I love bikes riding up, uh, or growing up, rather. I love bikes, and I love going out for bike rides. I'm the youngest of four boys, and my parents are good parents, they genuinely loved me, but I think by the time they got to their fourth boy, and I was strong-willed, I was stubborn, I was difficult, I was opinionated, I think they were just kind of done parenting, and I, I don't really blame them. So most of my childhood and teenage years, I really don't have many memories of my parents. They were just really busy doing other stuff. So I had a lawn mowing business, and I would save up my money and buy different things. I had bought a used dirt bike, and two of my friends got into bike racing, and I wanted to get a racing bicycle. So I saved up my money and I found a used one. Here's what it looks like. This is the exact same model. And uh, I started riding regularly. There was this thing called the rail trail and I really enjoyed it. There was this group of older men. This sounds scary, but don't worry, it turned out fine, okay? This group of older men took an interest in me and they would literally pick me up at my house and I'd put my bike in the back of their truck and, and I'd go out in the country and ride bikes with them for hours. And they taught me all about, you know, the mechanics of bicycle racing, how, how to do, there, there's a lot of specifics. Anyhow, I really enjoyed it. And one day they said, hey, John, um, there's a race coming to town. We think you should enter for your age group 
and see how you do. We think you're pretty good at this. Well, uh, the way it was in my house, you weren't supposed to ask for anything. So I was like, man, I'm going to need a helmet. I got the cheapest helmet I could get from Walmart, like 15 bucks. Uh, I needed the bike shorts. I was still going to wear my soccer shorts over them. But I needed the bike shorts for the padding. I went to the Goodwill. I found a used pair. Thankfully, didn't have any holes in them. Put together, you know, what I could hobble together. And as the race approached, I told my parents, hey, I would love it if you guys could come to this race. Now, my three older brothers, they were all really good at school sports. And I didn't really care for school sports. I was more into cars and just... I don't know, finding my own way through the world. So I was like, I'd love it if you guys would come to this. Well, they were busy doing other stuff. So one of those guys, uh, those older men, picked me up, took me to this race. I get my bike out of the back of his trunk, uh, or of his truck. I've got my, um, you know, kind of funky Goodwill outfit, my $15 helmet. And this other kid who I'm going to be competing against, he has like a full uniform. He has sponsors. His parents both drove him, and they had a full trailer for his bike with, like, stickers and sponsors. I look, he's got the shoes that clip into the pedals. Like, those shoes alone were worth more than my entire setup. And I was so intimidated and just so alone. And the race started, and I pulled out in front of him and got into first place. And lap after lap continues, and I remain in first place. And I go from being incredibly intimidated to just this kind of emotional excitement of like, oh my goodness, I'm going to win this race. I saw the flag that there was one lap left, and I stayed in first the whole way. Uh, The finish line uh, was a steep hill that goes to the top, and then there's the finish line. And as we got on that hill, you had to downshift your gears. Well, if you've got a newer bike, you know, you push, or even if it's down on the bars, you push, and it's a, it's a click. The new bike's click. Well, my bike did not have clicking. It's just you kind of felt it. And if you were lucky, you got one gear. If you were unlucky, you got two or three gears. And that's what happened. Like right at the final sprint of the race to go up that hill, I pushed the lever just a little too far. I got two gears instead of one, so I couldn't pedal fast enough. And with about 20 yards left, he just zooms around me. He gets first place. Now, the moment that kind of is seared in my memory was then me crossing the finish line in second and watching his family all surround him. And then I cross the finish line and I get off my bike and the old dudes who had picked me up were off doing something else and I was just standing there by myself in that moment just feeling so alone in the world. Now, that is not the hardest thing I've been through and I guarantee you it's not the hardest thing you've been through. But it's been more than 20 years And I still remember how I felt in that moment. Can you relate to any of that? Is there anything that has happened to you in your story? And I'm not asking you to rehearse it or relive it. I know some things that have happened, we don't even want to say out loud, and that's okay. But might there be some stuff deep in your life that is affecting the fact that you're not bonding with your spouse? Or a fear mentality that you're actually the best employee at work, but you're showing up every day thinking you could get fired at any moment. Might there be some foundation pieces in you that even if you work really hard to have an overcomer outlook, you got to somehow get that stuff fixed? That's the question we're asking today. How can you rebuild the broken foundation blocks in your identity? Because we all have them. 
I mean, how can you rebuild those? How can you rebuild if you're a person who's afraid to bond because you think the person might abandon you? Or you're a person who's always been codependent on unhealthy people, and now you want to learn to be independent. I mean, how do you fix that kind of thing? If I could tell you today how, would you want to know how? Well, God speaks to this really hundreds of times in Scripture, the theme of identity or our view of ourself. God has a view of you that is different than your view of you, and believe it or not, through Jesus, God's view of you is better than your view of you. And if, if you will start a lifestyle of saying, God, help me to see myself the way you see myself, that's the only path I know of to start healing those things. Let's look at a scripture text that models this. It's the true story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet who God chose to rebuke kings and nations. But when God tells this to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's like, whoa, that is not me. I'm not confident. I'm not, like, I'm not the person to go rebuke kings and nations. God, you've got the wrong God. And just like God will say to you at times in your life as you surrender to him, God says to Jeremiah, actually, before you even knew your parents, I knew you. And the plans I have for you are bigger than you can imagine. If you'll surrender to me, if you'll allow me to define your identity, I've got bigger things for you. Here's how the story goes. Jeremiah 1 verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, quote, God speaks here, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, some of these uh, truths are going to be unique to Jeremiah. Most of us aren't appointed to be prophets to the nations. But we know from other scriptures like Ephesians 2 verse 10 and Psalm 139 that the principle here that God knew you before he knit you together in your mother's womb, that is true of you. That God has plans on your life. He has designs on your life. He has good things for you to do of which you might not be aware. Great things for you to do that you might think, I'm not that person, I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not faithful enough. <laughs> this is kind of what uh, Jeremiah responds, the way you might be feeling. Verse 6, he says, oh Lord, you got the wrong guy. I don't even know how to speak in front of people, and you're telling me I'm going to speak in front of kings? No, 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 no. And Lord, I'm too young. Like, I do not have the self-confidence, I am not the kind of guy to go do what you're saying I'm going to do. Look how God responds, verse 7. Do not say, I'm too young. And I believe when it comes to your relationship with God, you could fill too young in with, um, I'm too alone. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. I'm hopeless. God said, don't say that. I had plans for your life before you got broken. I had plans for your life before you concluded you were too young or too this or too that. You must go, believe what I say about you, step out to do what I created you to do, and go say whatever I command you. Jeremiah, you absolutely can do what I created you to do if you'll simply believe what I say about you. That's really what our identity is, who you believe you actually are. And Satan, the prince of this world, who lied to Adam and Eve, he will lie to you and me about who we are, about what makes us valuable, 
about where we can get healthy attention, where we can get the affirmation that we're missing. He will lie to you a thousand different ways to try to get you to settle for something less or something addictive or something broken. Verse 8, God says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know the thought of going deeper into your life, of even opening the lid to let God go in and fix some of those things you've been through, is a terrifying thought. For Jeremiah, what God says, I have a plan for your life. He says, no, no, I'm not capable. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the people I'm calling you to speak to because I'm with you. You know what with you is? Relationship. The God who made you is a perfect father. I know your human father wasn't perfect. None of ours were. Some were kind of broken. Some were terribly broken. But you do have a perfect father in heaven. And he will fix what's broken in you as you are in relationship with him. And he said to Jeremiah, and I believe the principle is true for all of us, I have a grand adventure for your life. I have things for you to do that are more fulfilling than any temporary pleasure, more fulfilling than material wealth or status, but you've got to step out and believe who I say you are. And as you journey with me on a mission that will help other people and be eternally significant, I will be with you. What did Jesus say in the Great Commission when he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you on this journey. You're not alone in your brokenness. You're not alone in your pain. He's with you. And I love the second part. He says, not only am I going to be with you in relationship, I will rescue you when you couldn't rescue yourself. And I have found this to be true, not only about things God does as we step out in ministry, but things God has done in me. Fixing my scarcity mentality. Fixing my sense that I'll always be alone against the world. I'm <laughs> not fully fixed yet, okay? Got ways to go. But I've seen God rescue me in ways that no self-help book, no amount of my effort could have done. Jeremiah could not have lived his best life without God's help. Neither can you or me. Verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. This is a dynamic moment that will redefine how Jeremiah sees himself. For the rest of his life, he's going to look back on this moment, and he's no longer going to say, I'm the wimpy, too young, can't speak in front of people kid. No, I'm appointed by the creator from before the foundation of the earth. Before he even knit me in my mother's womb, he already had plans for me. He's given me words to say and things to do, and this changes Jeremiah's life. It can absolutely change your life if you invite God to shape your identity as it truly is in his eyes. Verse 10, see today, I appoint you, Jeremiah, over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So in this little story, we get identity, purpose, fulfillment, companionship, authority, self-view, and God, in the same way for you, wants to give you healthy identity, eternal purpose, perfect companionship, authority, 
to be a great dad, to be an amazing mom, to be an excellent student who's a follower of Jesus. Here's part of what God's teaching us through this text. Some parts of your outlook can only change when your identity, which is your view of yourself, changes. Identity is spiritual territory. Satan loves to battle over it. And most of us have settled for an identity in some ways that is less than what God has for us. Verse 5 we saw, but I just want to point it out where God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So as a youngest, as a kid who grew up with a pretty I'm alone, scarcity mentality, I'm not a naturally confident person in my disposition or from my circumstances. And so when God started working in my heart in my 20s, and I, I started realizing that I had a gift to teach his word, well, it started in living rooms where I'd be sitting there with 10 of my friends, and we would just open our Bibles and I'd say, hey, let's all share what we got out of our time in the Word. And they'd share, and then I'd share, and they'd all say, wow, you're really good at that. I'm like, okay, I'm fine with that. Well, then God called me to, to preach in front of a church that had 100 people. And I was just freaked out. That is not my natural state to stand up in front of a bunch of people. And so this verse, Jeremiah 1, verse 5, to this day, is a verse that I read almost every time before I go out to preach. And it reminds me this, God had a plan for my life that preceded my childhood, preceded my wounds. He says that he's created me to teach his word, so I can just step out and do it. And the same is true for you. He's created you to do things that maybe you can't even imagine. He's created you to do good things. There are things that you can be great at that you don't even know about. Nobody told you growing up that you could be a great leader or a great business owner. Nobody told you that where your parents failed you, you could have a godly marriage and you could break that cycle for your kids. Nobody told you about the gifts that God has planted in you. God created you to do good works in Christ Jesus, which he prepared in advance for you to do. That's Ephesians 2, verse 10. Like Jeremiah you will do the things that seemed impossible. You can become someone you never imagined if you'll choose to believe what God says about you. And so here's kind of our application today. Invite God to heal and reclaim the most foundational pieces of how you view yourself. Now, in my experience, a lot of times, I didn't even know these things were broken. Mel knew. <laughs> the people I worked for knew. I couldn't see it. So I want to be clear. For me, the sequence hasn't been identify problem, ask God to heal problem. It's just been, God, I surrender. I have problems I don't even know about. <laughs> Would you fix them? And then he starts working on them, and eventually I become aware of them, and I'll probably be learning about more of them uh, throughout the rest of my life. But it just starts with that attitude. Kind of take the lid off those parts of you that are sealed up and say, God, I invite your grace to just pour down in, heal the broken things in me. Let's look back at that kind of visual of your outlook or attitude is really based on your view of yourself. So you could listen to all the self-help books and even memorize a bunch of scripture, which is a lot more powerful, that says, you know, 
um, you're an overcomer in Christ that says, you know, you can do better than you think you can, but if, if your foundation's broken, then your attitude's going to keep sloping down. And so th- this material is not in the Winning Attitude book. This material is just from my experience as I've tried to apply the Winning Attitude book. John Maxwell, in that book that we're using for this series, he says that he grew up in a really good home, really engaged parents. And so I think he kind of had that foundation there more than most of us do. And what I learned is if I don't invite God deep down into my foundation, then my attitude will keep sloping down into that negative, pessimistic, woe is me. Uh, The idea today is that there's some brokenness, there's some pain in your life that's connected to some foundational part of your identity. And it can be fixed if you will look to God to reshape that part of you. But until it gets fixed, what you'll do and what I did, and I probably still do, is you'll pack that broken area of your foundation with false fillers. Things like achieving or controlling, or earning, or attention, or affection, or performance. And we'll really get into this next week. I'm going to bump this series out one more week, because I just really, as I've been praying for you guys this week, this is so important. And once I kind of got drilled down to this level of our foundation, I realized there's kind of two things going on here. The first is our own life. And how important this is for us. And then the second is our kids, our spouses. So for today, I want to focus on us helping the people around us heal. And then next week, we're going to get really into our own lives. Here's what God says in 2 Corinthians 5. Because maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, John, there's parts of me, they've been broken for 20 years, 50 years, whatever. (laughs) There's no point trying to change it. Well, you can change it. God can change it where you can't. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, anyone who belongs to Christ, so if you've called out to Jesus to be your savior and forgive your sins, if you've repented and believed, you now belong to Christ and you have become a new person. It's like a person who was in a really, really terrible childhood, abandoned by their parents, gets adopted into a really healthy family. In that moment, Their legal identity changes. Their family identity changes. Their home changes. But learning to trust, learning that there will be enough food when there never was enough food, is a lifelong process. And the same is true for us spiritually. The moment you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, your place in heaven is secure. You're adopted into the family of God. But it's a lifelong process to really relearn who am I and learn the, uh, the affirmation I need is found in God. The approval I need is found in God. And the grammar here where it says the old life is gone, a new life has begun. Has begun means it is a process. We saw this process assumption last week when we looked at Romans 12 and it said be being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's okay that it's a process. Don't beat yourself up that you're not there. I'm not there. Just invite God to get you on the process of him shaping your identity. We'll really dig into that next week. Your perfect father in heaven. Jesus' prayer for us. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Essentially, this is how I start every day. My identity's in heaven. Okay, we'll get into that next week. But today, I want to finish off by 
really kind of moving from this, if you don't invite God to shape your identity, your broken patterns will continue. Part of this is we all have devastating family cycles we've inherited. Some family cycles are obvious, alcoholism, angry outbursts. Other family cycles are a little more, you know, kind of codependent, manipulative, absent parents, whatever. Some cycles and wounds in your life can only be healed by God. God's healing is always available, but it does require your surrender. Invite him in to heal. And then God's healing will continue as you learn your perfect father in heaven. So now in the remainder of our time, I want to talk parents. How can we raise our kids with as few wounds as possible? Mel and I were at dinner with some other couples around our age, and we were talking about some of this stuff. And, and one of the, one of the uh, moms pointed out, you know, 15, 20 years from now, our kids will all be at a table and they'll be talking about the one time we didn't show up for them or, you know, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. So how can we minimize wounding our kids? And that's kind of this idea. If you don't invite God to start working on you, then you'll continue the pattern that you inherited of hurting the people around you when you don't mean to and limiting their thinking by telling them you know, making flat earth statements like, you could never do that, or why would you think of that, or what makes you think you could do that? How can we give our kids and loved ones the healthiest identity building blocks for their lives? So if you've got kids or grandkids, be thinking of them. This is also true if you're dating someone. It's true if you're married of your spouse. How do you give the people around you Help them get the healthy building blocks for their identity. You can take a picture of this next one. I'm not going to unpack it. It's just a few things God's taught me. There's scriptures for all these. We'll do a whole parenting series sometime next year. But with your kids, encourage their virtue. Encourage, when, when you see them be generous or kind or patient, encourage it verbally. Celebrate their strengths. In the book, The Winning Attitude, John Maxwell writes that for every one negative experience a child has, see their coach yells at them on the soccer field, or um, their siblings make fun of them, or they get teased at school. For every one of those negative experiences, it takes five positives to balance it out. So parents, it's okay to be a little over the top on celebrating their strengths. You know, I'm not saying to lie to them, okay? <laughs> Don't fixate on their weaknesses, as a parent, of course, you're going to be aware of their weaknesses and you should be helping them come up with plans to solve for their weaknesses. But don't verbally focus all the time on their weaknesses. Avoid perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is one of those things. If you're a perfectionist, I was. I uh, probably still am. <laughs> it's good in your career. I mean, you'll get promotions from being a perfectionist. Don't we all want our airline pilot to be a perfectionist? I hope so. But in a house, perfectionism is a cancer. If you're a perfectionist with your kids, with your spouse, it will absolutely corrode and destroy relationship. Why? Because we all fall short. We all need grace. Show grace as God has shown grace to you. And, and like so many of these things, as you absorb God's grace for your shortcomings and you absorb his love for you, you're then able to give it to the people around you. Um, by the way, while I've pointed this out for kids, this is incredibly powerful material for your spouse. Because you know what? Your spouse, when she grew up as a little girl, 
there was a voice that didn't tell her a lot of this stuff. You guys, you have more power than anyone in the world as a husband or a wife to become the voice that your spouse didn't have as a child. That's something you can actually pray for. What a, what a beautiful prayer. What if you prayed that today? God, would you change me that I would be that positive, affirming, loving voice that my spouse didn't have as a child? What if every marriage in this room for one week we focused on being that? The most loving thing you can do for the people you care about is ultimately to direct them to find their identity in God. Let them know where they're insecure that they're secure in God. Let them know where they fear they don't have enough that God will provide enough. Keep pointing them to God. Be his presence. Be loving. Be the best you can be. But you don't have to be perfect as long as you're pointing them to the one who is perfect. (laughs) This matters so much. Because if you try to be a perfect mom, spouse, grandma, grandpa, whatever, you're going to fail. And if you're anything like me, you're going to beat yourself up for failing. And then you're going to become even worse than if you were just carefree and having a good time. (laughs) You don't have to be perfect. Just point them to the one who is. Do your best and point them to the one who is. How do you help your loved ones find their identity in God? I want to circle back to my parents, my mom and dad. They're still alive. That's why I trembled to tell that story at the beginning. They were pretty absent for most of my life. They they get very busy doing their own stuff, and and I've worked through all that. I'm fine, okay? But actually, you you might be wondering, John, how's your relationship with your parents? It's, It's really good. At least from my side, as I perceive it, it's a really good relationship. And part of that is I'm so grateful for my parents. Because while they weren't perfect, they were really good at pointing me to God. And because they kept pointing me to God, everywhere that they were deficient, I found what I needed in him, ultimately. Okay, and so parents, grandparents, spouses, this is the most loving thing you can do for the people you love. You're going to be deficient. (laughs) Be honest when you are and point them to God. My parents... uh, When I was in high school, there were a lot of Sundays that I didn't want to go to church. And it just wasn't an option. It was like, you will be at church. And if I said, well, I'm older, I don't feel like going to church. They'd say, well, do you like sleeping in our house? (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Then go to church. Around the same time as that story I told you about the bicycle, they gave me a Bible. You know what kind of Bible it was? It's a life application study Bible. And if you've been here for a while, you know that we give these out like candy because it has so changed my life and we've seen it change hundreds of people's lives. And my favorite thing about the life application study Bible is at the back, there's an index. You can look up any topic. You can look up anxiety, abortion, fear, worry, money, career, and you can see what God says about it. So even though my parents a lot of times didn't show up for me, they gave me tools that allowed me to find God. And if I could go back in time and rewind the tape to that day when I was 14 and trade it, that my parents were the ones with the trailer and the stickers and the sponsors and the clip-in shoes, and they were there cheering me on, but they weren't taking me to church, and they didn't give me a Bible, and they didn't point me to God, I would not change it. I wouldn't change it. So parents, you don't have to be perfect. 
point them to the one who is. This is pretty practical. One way you can do this is to bring your kids to church every weekend. Now, I'm not saying every week, we're not like counting and going to judge you if you don't. I know there's travel tournaments on occasion. There's spring breaks and fall breaks, okay? There's going to be some weeks that you're out of town. But I love it. We've got families in our church who have teens and young adults at the highest level of sports. I'm talking Olympic-level athletes. And they're traveling around the country, and they're watching the services online. And their sons and daughters are still in small groups. And they serve, and they know Christ, and they're not neglecting church. So, so unless you're out of town, unless you physically can't be here, bring your kids to church. I think a lot of parents in our society, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but I think there's a lot of parents who don't even realize that with their actions, they're communicating to their kids that God's, God's kind of a priority, but it's below sports, it's below football, it's below a bunch of other things. And, and if you do that, you're, you're probably not going to be pointing your kids to God as the one who can give them the identity that gets them through life. Here's what we pray for for the kids and students here at Connection Point. Something I pray for for my three biological kids. We've got, I don't know, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 kids and students all together here in our church family. And I pray this for all of them. If you're a student here today, these are three things I pray for you. That our environments, that our impact on your life would lead you to the conclusion that you authentically say for yourself, my identity is found in Christ. You might be the captain of your team. You might have the best score on the SATs. You might become really successful. Those things are true of you, but they're not your core identity. Because any of those things could be stripped away at a moment's notice. Who you are in Christ cannot. We pray that our sons and daughters would come to the conclusion that we each have to reach on our own. The Bible is my standard for truth. When I need to know what's right or wrong, when I need direction in life, I look to the word of God. It's a love letter that's written to me. That's why we hand them out. We want to teach people to read them. And then third, this is all three of these only God can do in the heart of any of us, but especially this last one. It's our prayer that the most authentic, unconditional love that the teens and elementary kids growing up in our church, the most authentic love they experience outside of their home is with other Jesus followers in the body of Christ. You can't manufacture that, but if they're not here, it's not going to happen. Bottom line is that you don't have to do this thing alone. The stakes are so high, aren't they? Like, oh my goodness, if, if, I don't, if my kid's identity has this majorly broken block in it, it could affect them for life could lead them down some really bad paths. That's a lot of pressure. But you don't have to do this alone. You're in a tribe with thousands of people. We pool our resources. We spend well over a million dollars a year on our kids and our student ministries because we invest in this because we care about your kids and your students. And if you're here and you are a student, I hope you know we love you here. You're always loved here. You're always wanted here. But um, we all have to choose if we're going to show up and use these resources. Well, we've got an event tonight for middle and high school. It's called the One Event. And here's pictures from last year. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome event. This year, it's going to take place over at Brownsburg Middle School. So it's from 3.30 to 7. This is for high school and middle school from Avon and Brownsburg. Feel free to invite 
uh, other teens that you know as well. They will have a good time. You can sign up in the lobby or you can uh, go onto this website and sign up or just show up if you have to, okay? On your seat on the way in, you saw one of these roadmaps. Please don't open it up right now because they're kind of big, but you can take this home and you can study it. This is um, really uh, the next level that we've created. So I'm really proud of our middle and high school ministries as they are. But many of you know about a year ago, we hired two leaders for what we call our Youth Worldview Initiative. This is deeper teaching about where did the Bible come from? What are the evidences that God exists? What's the evidence that Christ rose from the dead? What does the Bible say about LGBTQ+. What does the Bible say about how I behave toward people who disagree with the Bible? These are deep issues that our kids are all wrestling with, and we're investing a ton into this. What these roadmaps are is they're grade level specific from 6th to 12th. So, so grab one for whatever grade your child or grandchild is in. And then these are key dates where we're going to have the deeper teaching that you really don't want your student to miss out on, or if you are a student, that you don't want to miss out on. So um, we know you've got fall break, you've got spring break, you've got competitive sports. We know all that. We're aware of it. We want you to be able to plan ahead for the upcoming year and kind of save the date for some of these key times. Uh, By the way, I've heard from some of you as we've started this Worldview Initiative, as a parent, grandparent, or you're just someone who's giving to this, like, can I hear the material that's being taught? And yes, you can. There's a new podcast that our teaching pastor, Ron, with his deep radio voice, Ron interviews Dr. Zach, who has his PhD and helps oversee our youth worldview. They do a 20-minute summary of each lesson, so you can take a picture of that. Dr. Zach wanted me to encourage parents and grandparents not only to listen to this, but even listen to it with your kids. You know, if you've got to drive to an athletic event or you've got to drive somewhere, put this 20-minute summary on to kind of give them another coat of paint on those truths. So back to what we want for our kids and students, their identity, their truth source, their relationships. God is answering our prayers as we pool our resources to see him do this work in the hearts of our sons and daughters. I want to show you a true story that happened over the summer for five of our young people. Go ahead and take a look. I'm Caroline. I'm Noah. I'm Brianna. I'm Brody. And I'm Brad. Going into R3, it was a little bit of a fight to get me out of the house to go. I was not interested in going. I, my faith was not strong, and I was in a pretty bad place. It was, wasn't great, so I needed it, but I didn't want to. I had lost like my faith like a bit, and I hadn't been going to church as much because I kind of like over the year I kind of drifted but going in I was like wanting to reconnect my faith I just like was feeling like oh this will actually be good usually I'm not a fan of any church camps or any camps or anything like that but uh, I was excited for this one for some reason but I just didn't know why yet I was excited because I heard that they're gonna give us evidence on why we should believe in God first night we're talking about the cosmological evidence for God and that really stuck with me, right? So I didn't necessarily believe in God. I, I felt like there was something, but I didn't know. It was just fact after fact, and just like these powerful evidences and cases for God that kept like being presented to us um, by Zach and Trey. As much as the teachings were supposed to be about um, preparing us to um, inform other people and how they can become in a re- relationship with God, I feel like what it ultimately did 
was give all of us at the camp more confidence in our own faith. That Thursday night, that's like really the pivotal moment for everyone. On that uh, final night at camp when there was all of that worship and it was super emotional, everyone was sobbing, including me. Um, I was super into it because Trey had just given the most, the, the most convincing speech I think I had ever heard. Um, just saying for us to like send ourselves out, send ourselves out into the world. I think that Thursday night worship really impacted all of us and really led us to us all forming this group and deciding to get baptized and really take that huge step of our faith. Before going in, we had not, I know a few of us just didn't care that much about worship. We wouldn't sing as much, but that night we were throwing up our hands, kneeling, huddling, sobbing, like. A few days after camp, we went over to Noah's house to just like tell all the parents and everyone like what happened and just how good it was. Um, and that's when um, Brad and Noah had told uh, all the parents that they wanted to get baptized. And my mom just like leaned over and asked like, what about you? And I was like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, why not? And she was like, oh, you want to get baptized? I'm like, why? I mean, like, why should I not? Like, this is the perfect opportunity to. And now I have these brothers and sisters. It's just, it was a crazy experience being able to have everyone together. Getting baptized all at the same time, I feel is just super encouraging for me. It lets me know that we're all kind of in the same point, like in our faith. I remember thinking, uh, that if I go to hell, I go to hell. Now thinking about that, it gives me chills to even think about. Like, I understand the severity of that thought, right? I just, I just didn't care, right? And I'm sure there's so many other people who are like that, and the other, that next step for them is arguably the most important thing they can do in their life. Right? So I, please, <laughs> take, take that step, right? With like us five, I feel like we can actually like be ourselves, but also be able to like talk about God and like do our faith instead of like being like you have to fake yourself. Like you don't have to do that. Our identity is in God. It's not in each other. It's not in ourself. It's not in the things that we do on the daily. It's our identity is in God, um, and we get to rest in that truth with other people who also believe the same thing. get emotional every time I see that story because some of those young people we were praying for before we knew them. <laughs> you know that God has been caring for you since before you knew him. Uh, I wonder if you'd close your eyes right now and just you and God, I just want to invite you to open the lid of your life. tell him that you want him to define you. There's some things that you're looking to hear from people around you. He's been saying them all along. He says you're valuable. He says that you're wanted. He says that you're strong. He says that you're created to do great things. He says that you're precious in his sight. The affirmation you seek, he freely gives. The attention you desire, he's 
watching you every day. He wants to be in relationship with you. And right now, whether for the first time or just in a fresh way, would you just say, God, redefine the way I see myself through the work of Jesus. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Lord, this is our prayer today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week for part four. Yeah. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.